I pride myself on being pretty flexible and knowing that I'm not the font of all knowledge and that I won't do everything perfectly. I am perfectly imperfect. And while I have my opinions on how things should be, they're not always correct and they don't always work out. I have taken the mindset of, okay, what lesson needed to be learned from this? What life lesson? What business lesson? And how can we modify what we did that caused that result into something that can give us a better result or a result that we were anticipating rather than the one that we got? It's taken a lot of patience. Patience and that dogged determination because I've not even reached where I know that Scout and Zoe's can go. And I need to do it quickly because I don't want to be running the company when I'm 90. I want to take some time off, take at least a good year or two. Hey everyone, welcome to the Lucky Pup Podcast, where we're taking big ideas and weaving them together in a way that makes the big picture relatable and hopefully inspirational and a bit educational too. You're going to find candid and authentic conversations about the struggles we've encountered as we try to live more full and happy lives. I'm your host, Morgan Weber, and today I'm joined by Cindy. Cindy has grown Scout and Zoe's from a single ingredient chew made in her garage to an internationally sold company with hundreds of innovative products 15 years later. Her passion for doing business well and for helping pets live a long and healthy life was forever changed by the death of her dog Scout to her mangiosarcoma, a brutal cancer. She'd founded Scouting for a Cure, a 501c3 founded on fundraising for cancer research in his honor. Now, I could have talked with Cindy all day about business, dogs, and her belief that business owners can do things differently. And I hope you enjoy our conversation too. Here's Cindy. Well, Cindy, I am super excited to have this conversation with you. Uh, we met at Super Zoo in person, gosh, what was that? Maybe two and a half years ago. And yeah. I had seen you in Pet Boss Nation and you've always been somebody who is not afraid of, I would say, speaking the truth when this truth needs to be spoken, but also just being very wise. And the truth that you speak is something usually that people need to hear. So I was so excited to get to meet you and get to follow your story a little bit more and now have you on the podcast. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for the kind words and thanks for the time today. It's a very good way to start off the year. I agree. I agree. Cindy, for those who don't know about you and don't know about Scout and Zoe's, why don't you give them a little bit of background info? Well, Scout and Zoe's was founded in 2010 because I needed to find products, well, actually a product, a chew product for Zoe who had allergies. And by the time I, she had allergies when she was six months old. And so she was about 10 at this point. And by the time I started trying to find something, Scout was in the picture and he also had allergies. So I hit on the idea of elk antler dog juice. And that did so well that when the Chinese chicken jerky started killing a lot of pets in 2012, I decided I had been thinking about treats and decided that was my line in the sand. So I would start making treats and we started off with dried sweet potatoes, dried carrots, and dried chicken breast. And they did so well that we added, I added more treats like duck and venison and kangaroo. We started off with five skews and now we have over a hundred all these many years later. And Scout and Zoe's is known for really nutritious treats that are sourced and made in the United States. And they're all created from human-grade ingredients. So 
Most of the treats, with the exception of a few, I eat to prove how safe they are. So we use exotic proteins like kangaroo and venison and duck. And then we use really unusual ones like Asian carp, which are invasive fish in the United States or in the North American continent, and sustainable proteins like black soldier fly larvae. And we were the first to market in the pet industry with Asian carp treats and the black soldier fly. So I like to be innovative. I don't like to be along with everybody else for the ride. What were you doing before you decided to become a treat wholesaler? This one day you were just like, what I really want to do with my life is make the best dog treats and sell them all across the country and now across the world, too. Well, I have a business degree from Georgia State University in Atlanta, Georgia. And that at the time was just a way to feed myself because I wasn't going to get married and I needed something to be able to live. So I struck out into the world with my business degree in sales, and that actually has been really good for being an entrepreneur because I used the accounting and the business courses. I didn't like them at the time, but they've proven very successful and very useful as an entrepreneur because while I understand, I would never want to do my own accounting, at least I understand it. And I understand the premise of cost of goods and things like that. But I've always been in sales. And that's really great because most entrepreneurs might have a great product or a great idea, but they don't know how to sell it. And not only is the space between my ears very creative, but then once something comes out of it, I know how to sell it. Yeah, I think we all have our zones of genius. And it is definitely hard when you have somebody who loves doing a thing, but they maybe don't love the managing of the thing or the selling of the thing. And it's hard to balance all of those. When you got started, were you just doing everything or did you have people who helped you at the beginning to do all of the different aspects of the business? Oh, no. we I did everything. I did everything but cut the antlers because my husband didn't want me to cut the antlers because he thought I'd chop my fingers off. And we were doing it in the garage. So he would cut them. I'd mark them. He'd cut them. And then I'd sand them and bag them. And that stopped when he just about, an antler slipped. He just about cut two of his fingers off and the antler flew and hit me square in between the eyes. And he said, I'm done. So at that point, I found someone else to cut them and then I packaged them for a while. Then I found the Hopewell Center here in Anderson that teaches intellectually challenged adults job skills. So we were helping them by helping us package the chews. And now I have a very small staff, so I can't say that I don't do everything myself. Well, I can say I don't do everything myself, but I do a lot of stuff myself. I like to have my fingers in everything. But that'll change as the business gets bigger and bigger as it scales. I'll have to let go of some of the tasks and just trust people that they do their jobs to my liking. Something that really stuck with me when we met at SuperZoo is you were talking with another person that I was there with, and you mentioned to her, because she was talking about going out and doing wholesaling with her products, and you said, ah, but new level, new devil. This idea that growth is not always sunshine and roses, and there's always going to be challenges, and it doesn't mean that those challenges are good or bad, but that every time you hit a new level, there are those new challenges that come with that. And I'm sure you have really experienced that when you started with one product and then up to five, and now you're at over 100, especially the innovative products that you have. 
How have you really managed those that growth? Because I see that a lot in the pet sitter space as people think, gosh, my life will be so much easier when I get a team or when I hit a certain revenue number. And we sometimes forget about these other challenges that come along with that growth. That new level, new devil is very spot on because the business that you had yesterday is definitely not the business you have today. And it can't be managed or run the same way. And you have to be flexible. And I really don't like this phrase or this word, but you have to learn to pivot. You have to be flexible enough to change or mold what's going on to new ways of managing it. And as my business grows, because we've been exporting to other portions of the world since 2011, but with my recent trip to Dubai in December of 2023, that's going to be much more than what we've ever exported before because we'll have a distributor in Dubai and then I'll go back over in March and April and secure distributors in all other United Arab Emirates countries and then Saudi Arabia and some of the other ones. So when you get into that level of shipping containers of product that can hold hundreds of thousands of units, it's a whole different ballgame than just shipping domestically and shipping five or 10 units to a small retail store. While we love the small retail stores and the independents that have been our bread and butter for a really long time, it's time for us to branch out and go into distribution so we can have more reach through other people. And that it's just, I pride myself on being pretty flexible and knowing that I'm not the font of all knowledge and that I can't do, I won't do everything perfectly. I am perfectly imperfect. And I don't know that as many leaders realize that as they should, because they think that it's their way or the highway. And while I have my opinions on how things should be, they're not always correct and they don't always work out. So rather than beat myself up about it or beat somebody else up about it, i I have taken the mindset of, okay, what lesson needed to be learned from this? What life lesson? What business lesson? And how can we modify what we did that caused that result into something that can give us a better result or a result that we were anticipating rather than the one that we got? It's taken a lot of patience on my side, and patience is not one of my better virtues. I've learned for it to be, but it hasn't been in the past. Patience and that dogged determination to grow because I've not even reached where I know that Scout and Zoe's can go. So we've got a lot of growing to do and I need to do it quickly because I don't want to be running the company when I'm 90. I want to take some time off, take at least a good year or two off. <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned just there that, that Scout and Zoe's has a lot of room to grow and you want to chase that growth. And how did you decide? Is that something where when you first started, you always knew, gosh, I want to grow this as as large a volume as I possibly can? Or did that come somewhere along the line where you said, I think that this could keep going? Oh, no, I knew. If once you know me really well, you'll know that I don't do anything in a small way. It's run with the big dogs or stay home on the porch. And I knew when I did the chew thing with Zoe and Scout, I kept thinking, we are not the only people on the planet that have dogs with this issue. We are not the only ones. And then the same thing with the treats. We're not the only people on the planet who want these really nutritious treats for their pets or people who think that their pets are their kids because we don't have any children. 
said, these dogs are my kids and they are treated as such. And I know a lot of people really bristle up at the term pet parent, but I am. I'm my demographic. I'm, I'm my perfect demographic because I consider my pets my family and I treat them that way. They get the best of care. They get the best of food. They get a lot of exercise. They get comfy beds. And when they're cold, they get sweaters. Yep, one of those. I knew that this had, especially after I got a couple of really big orders right at the beginning, I knew that this had a lot of running room. And it, I know we've got a lot of way to go, a long way to go. But given the right partners and the right people who are placed in my path at the right time, we can get there. We can be even more of a global entity than we are. I think there is something so, I don't know if it's the definition of entrepreneurial, but when somebody sees a challenge and says, well, I can fix that, or I know I know what somebody needs and I'm going to go out there and provide it. It seems as if some people that comes very naturally, perhaps, to them, and some people, they see a challenge and they go to find the solution, and then some people say, well, yeah, somebody has already done this, but I think I could do it better or I could do it different. And have you always had that entrepreneurial mindset, or was that something that grew as you got into business further? That's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that. And the short answer to that is I've always been able to find a better way to do something. And that has gotten me fired from every single job I've had but one <laughs> in my lifetime. And the only reason I wasn't fired from that job was because I moved up to Indiana from Tennessee. So if I hadn't moved, I probably would have gotten fired from that one too. And it wasn't because I was threatening. It was because I found better ways to do things that didn't necessarily take less time. It just made it to where it was a better product or a better experience for my customer. And my managers were really intimidated by that because they always thought I was gunning for their job. And I wasn't. I, I definitely didn't want to be management. But I've always been able to. I'm the middle of three girls. So I always had to find a better way to do things to get noticed or to do them more quickly so that I could outpace my sisters. So it's just part of who I am. And it's really easy for me to look at something and go, not only can I do that, but I can do it on so much of a different level that it's not even the same. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've done. That's what I've done with Scout and Zoe's. Everybody has treats or a lot of companies have treats because it's kind of a saturated market. Mm -hmm. Nobody has what we have. And that was completely apparent when I went to Dubai as I traveled around these stores for several days pet stores and grocery stores and everybody that sold pet-related items, there's nothing like that over there. So it made me feel really good. It validated my uh, creativity gene or that spark that I have. It's, yeah, baby, yeah. I love that you'd keep innovating. And I especially love when business can have an additional purpose. And so especially when you talk about the Asian carp treats where yeah, we can give our dogs a really nutritious, great treat, but also we can work on the you know, invasive fish species at the same time. Yeah. I think those are the really cool ways that business owners can have a greater impact on the world beyond their individual clients. Not all business owners think that way, but I want business owners to think, to just give a damn about the world and whether that's giving their employees a great quality of life or trying to do something bigger than just selling treats. And I think there are some really cool ways that you have innovated and found that different niche for yourself. Yeah, we have a three-prong philosophy here, and it's do good by the pet 
first and foremost, because that's always been extremely top of mind and the top of the pillar that we do everything by is if it's good for the pet. It has to be good for the pet and their wellness. And then do good for the planet because we want to make sure that we eradicate everything that we can as far as invasive species and that we are as sustainable as we can and as earth-friendly as we are able to be. And then do good for the community. And we've done that by teaching job skills to people who are overlooked by society and who can't find a job or who, who are relegated to menial tasks for not a lot of money. So at the end of the day, I want to be able to sleep. And mom and daddy taught me better than to just take somebody's money. So even when I started out by making the antlers, I wanted to do them with elk because elk was bigger than deer. It was a larger antler. And I wanted to give customers a good value for their money. So I just I can't do it any other way because that's part of my DNA. Mom and daddy would just, they're both gone now, but they would just both come back and haunt me in a big way if they knew that I was cheating people. That's not my style. I expect to receive, as a consumer, I expect to receive a top-notch product for what I pay. And as a company selling to the public, I know that they expect the same from me. So that's my mission in life is to uphold what I would expect to receive and give it back to my clientele. There are so many people in business who say, well, the best way to make money is spend the least amount possible, charge the most amount possible. That is, in my mind, really unsustainable for the long term. And when you do have these long term goals, you do have to make an investment and you do have to bring something more to the table than just a product that you can sell because people love stories. People love going along with a bigger cause. And especially when it's not done for vanity metrics and it's actually a true core belief, it makes such a difference in my mind. Makes a huge difference. And if when business owners don't think that way, their business fails. I mean, it might take years for it to fail, but at, at some point, karma comes along and she's really ill-tempered when she comes back, especially if somebody's done her wrong. It's like, you know, you get yours like tenfold back and it's not good because it does catch up with you. So when my days of traveling the planet are over, I want people to stand back and say, what a legacy, what a force of nature she was to do this and to always make the world a better place for pets. They live longer, they're healthier, they're happier. The families that have them get to love on them longer. So I, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning and makes my feet hit the floor and it's go time, let's go. When you have so many things that you have up in the air, so you've got your wholesaling, you've now you're working on these new international markets, you are being innovated with your new treat types and um, new proteins and things like that. How do you find time to actually be innovative? Because I think so often business owners get caught up in the doing of the business that they don't always have time to do the thinking or the creative aspects that are required to be an innovative business. Do you carve time out very specifically or does your brain just kind of go all of the time and it, it comes to you no matter what? A little of all of that. My flashes of brilliance usually come from watching my dogs as they grow in age. I see things that aren't there that I need to make for them. That's how the black soldier fly stuff started, because I was watching them eat mealworms from feeding bluebirds. Or the two moments in time, there's three. One, when I'm driving, because I 
don't like driving and I'll think about everything other than that. Uh, when I'm mowing the grass is a great time to think about nothing or a lot of different things, but the two best times for me are right as I'm falling asleep when my head hits the pillow and it's like that dream time before you fall asleep. That's a great time for me when I'm, my mind is just not on any one thing in particular or when I'm in the shower and I'm scrubbing my head and all of a sudden it's, oh, oh, okay, I can do that. But usually it's because the dogs had an issue. And that's how, like our newest product is called a Ready Raw. And it's a freeze-dried, complete and balanced food for people who feed raw, travel with dogs that are fed raw, or board dogs that feed raw, and people who are curious about feeding raw. And that all came to light when we boarded Ziva for a holiday in 2022, and they didn't want to take her because she was raw fed. And it's, well, gosh, I've been wanting to develop a dog food for 10 or 14 years, and it just kind of went wham. And it's like, why didn't I do this earlier? And it's, oh, I know, because I didn't have the need. So mm. that's how things usually come to pass. But I'd love to tell you that I sit and meditate, and it just, the gods <laughs> hand it down to me, but that, that's not how it happens for me. The gods it's may the hand it down, but I don't receive it as such. It, it's the shower gods. I, there is something to be said about just like the quiet of being in the shower and like the warm water and your brain does just have kind of time to to wander. There are definitely times where I'm in the shower and something comes to me and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to like write this down because if I don't write this down now, I'm going to lose pieces of it by the time I get back out of the shower again. And I do think it's such an interesting point too to say we all have as business owners we have so much going on again you're not managing a team and all these different modes that you sell your products through and to say well i didn't make the raw food i'm sure one you probably didn't have a whole lot of time to do it your brain was focused on other things but then also like when it became time for it to happen it happened and mm -hmm. I don't know. Sometimes I do have this feeling of when the world is ready, the thing will come to me. And you could have said, well, gosh, I've just been procrastinating on making dog food for the last 14 years. Or you can say, well, now is the right time. And so therefore, now is the right time. Do you ever struggle with the shame or the guilt that comes along with, gosh, I have all these ideas. Like I have a project parking lot <laughs> that is very long and I don't know if I'm ever going to get to everything on that list. And for some people that can be really stressful or it can be really hard on them to see all of the things that, that didn't get done in a year. And especially that we're kind of at the beginning of the year, people maybe look forward or they have a hard time looking back at what did or did not get done. Do you ever struggle with those things or do you also kind of feel, well, when the time is right, then the time is right? I'm a big believer is when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And when the time is right, everything clicks. And seriously, everything that I've done has had that kind of symmetry to it. Finding the right provider for the raw carp that we needed, finding the right provider for the soldier fly larva, everything I can tell you almost with 100% certainty that everything that I've done has had some divine timing with it. And it's not because I set out to do it, because when I found the carp fishmonger, not only were they close, but they were also a second chance employer, which meant that all of their employees had been incarcerated. So there's that other layer to that onion that made it an even better story. And then when we found the manufacturer that turned those raw products into treats is a family owned business, a small family owned business. So everybody who touched that, that's why we called it a fish on a mission. 
is everybody who touched that added their own special love to it. And it's a really great family of products. So I, I know that when the time is right, everything appears. And for me, developing products is really easy. But for some reason, the dog food had eluded me because I didn't want to do kibble. Because kibble inherently is not good. It's not nutritious. It's dehydrating. It's, there's a lot of issues with it. But the freeze-dried food was not only easy to develop, and the vitamin mineral blend was so easy to develop. And then to get it made, it just, the timing was perfect. Do you find that there's a lot of relationships here, right? The relationships mm -hmm. with the manufacturers, with the, you said the fishmonger, the distributors, all of these things, like that takes a network. Do you find that it's, you have to put a lot of effort into finding those relationships or is it, it your network knows people who knows people and these relationships kind of come on their own in a way? They're pretty organic. Now I know tons of people, so I can usually find someone who, if I don't know someone directly, I can find someone who, who is like one person removed from me knowing them. So it's really that six degrees of separation, but within that close-knit circle that you have, you can reach out. If I really wanted to get to Kevin Bacon, I probably could within just a couple of tries. So it's really, my resourcefulness has a lot to do with it because I keep a mental Rolodex of what I think I might need and stuff that doesn't get done. I don't beat myself up about it. I just keep that mental list ticking. It's like somewhere along the way, it's going to go, oh, okay, that's the person. Or if I have a, a a business associate from or, or some other company in the pet industry, if they're having struggles with something, I usually can help them out and direct them to where they need to go. But it really is all about the relationships because without those with your customers, you can't sell your product. And without the relationships on the other side, it's difficult to get it made and to bring them to life. So you kind of have to be that clown or that, that person juggling all the balls and plates to make it all work, but when it's right and it works beautifully, when it's wrong and shortages come up and things happen, you really do have to be flexible like Gumby and just make the most of what you have or just say, you know, it's on back order or it's never going to come back and we can't help it. When you were first starting in the pet world, was it hard to get some of those relationships going? Every industry is a niche. And so if you came from a not pet background and, and you know that the treats are great, but you've got to work your way into that niche to start getting recommended to different stores. Was that a hard process for you to get started? Or did you, again, you kind of found the, the one right person who recommends you to the next right person and it kind of grows from there? It was the one right person it wasn't just one right person because when I started the business you know, 14, almost soon to be 15 years ago, I think it was a lot easier because there was less competition, especially with the antlers. Because if you Google dog antler choose now, you'll come up with several million hits that you wouldn't way back when in, in 2010. So I think chance meetings, like at a trade show, that's how we got some key distribution because one of the very first trade shows that I went to was Backer in Chicago in 2011. And at that show, I met the people from Home Goods, and they sold a boatload of our antler chews. And I didn't want to do it, but they said, well, you'll be in good company because Ralph Lauren and Dana Buckman and some of these high-end designers are there too. And then it just kind of took off from there. And just a month later, I was at a dog show and we got our first international order to Hong Kong for dog chews. 
So it's really just kind of, I don't want to say it was showing up because it wasn't. I think it was being in the right place and having that key, those key people, because I knew enough about sales to make some contacts in the very early days of Scout and Zoe's, like with Three Dog Bakery, before I knew that the product was ready, before it was perfect. And once I felt it was perfect, then I talked to the right people at corporate headquarters and they did some testing. And I think it was an easier time then than it is now. But that's why a lot of times, especially like in the Pet Boss Club, somebody will say, I don't understand how to do this or what do you do with registration or I don't understand the manufacturing process. I will message them and say, let's jump on a call. I'll help you with this. I'll walk you through some things if you don't understand them. I'll give you some resources because I want to make sure that they are taken care of so they don't have to reinvent the wheel all along the way. Because there's some karma in that, and it's not bad karma, it's really good karma that comes back around. It's like you have to, not only do you have to look forward, but you still kind of have to look back and help the people that are behind you come along, because pretty rude not to. And I I feel like it is such a complicated thing to get into, because there are, in treats especially, or any kind of consumable product for pets, there are so many regulations and testing and all of these things. Part of the deal is showing up, but the other part of the deal is having the the good product to come with you. Did you ever struggle with deciding what to bring along or did all of the products served enough of a purpose that they all made sense? And I, I always think it's interesting too, you walk into a pet store now and there's freeze dried duck heads and all of these things that I'm sure 20 years ago, somebody would have said, you're going to try to sell me a freeze dried duck head and no way, why would I put that in my store? And now you've got all of these really amazing products that people think are really cool, but 20 years ago, they probably would have called oh. you crazy and laughed you out of the oh, store. they still do. They still do. Because uh, <laughs> not only do we have those freeze-dried duck heads, they're right here. Yes. But we also have things like frog legs, the frog hoppers. We've got uh, what we call the Just Ducky Combo Pack, which is basically a duck in a bag um, because it's got the feet, the head, the heart, and the necks in it. So, and people think that's still icky with the black soldier fly stuff because it's made with insects. Well, what they don't understand is that their dogs and cats eat insects anyway. They eat them when they're not looking. Yeah. So a lot of the products, most of the products make it. In answer to your, the broad stroke of the question, most of the products make it. There are some that never come back because they didn't perform well. And that's really just, I may just think the world of those products, but if they didn't sell, there's no way that I can keep in good conscience, keep them around because that's money tied up in inventory that I'm never going to sell. And ultimately they would expire. So we can't do that. It's not like a pen that you keep it around until it runs out of ink or you just keep it around because you like the aesthetics of the pen. With a treat, you have to sell it. It has a birthday. You have to sell it and it has to have that continual turnover. But there are a lot of products that we have that have not been embraced as wholeheartedly as we would have liked. But we're in the right place because uh, freeze-dried is as close to raw as you can get. So it's very nutritious. Like I said, I still am able to lay my head down on my pillow at night and go, I've done the best for pets that I can today. We just need to get more people to know of us. And that's the continuing challenge. It's not necessarily a struggle, but it's a continuing challenge because the ways that people buy continue to change over the course of time. And it's no longer brick-and-mortar stores that are the perfect place, although people are going back to brick-and-mortar because 
they need education. And you can't get that from online places like Chewy and Amazon. But you have to show up everywhere because of all the different ways people buy. So the retailers are like, oh, no, if you sell on Chewy, I can't buy from you anymore. Or if you're on Amazon, I can't buy from you anymore. But what they need to understand more clearly is that if the retailers aren't buying from us wholesale or they diminish their ordering from us on the wholesale side of things, we have to make up that revenue somehow. And it has to be through our own website, it has to be through Amazon, or it has to be through another platform because we can't sit and wait in the hopes that they'll order if they ever order. So it's a constant moving target as to how we market and to whom we market and on what platform we market. So it's really, if I have any one challenge that's ongoing, it's that and logistics, how to ship. For sure. Those are the two. I was going to ask you kind of about that in terms of the challenge of managing inventory, but also the challenge of managing when that big break is going to come and somebody Uh wants to place that order for 100,000 units. Well, you got to have 100,000 units in order to send out to them. And Mm -hmm. if you aren't in a position to send those units right away or within that reasonable time frame, they're going to cancel their order and they're probably never going to come back again. And so how have you, I know like in my business, sometimes I feel like I'm in the awkward teenage stage, that I'm like, <laughs> a, like a 13 year old and like my legs are a little bit too long and my pants are a little bit too short. And I know that I'm going to pull myself together here in a little bit, but I'm not quite there yet. The things aren't clicking quite like I would like them to be. And I know that they could be. And do you have any suggestions for people or maybe words of advice for people who feel like they're in that middle stage where they know that next growth opportunity is somewhere, but maybe they don't have the people capacity yet, or they don't have that financial capacity to make that jump or to to get to that point where they can chase those bigger orders because it feels like a lot of risk. And I don't know maybe how you've managed some of that risk as you've been growing. It's a big risk, but the way that I have, well, being in sales, I always said that it was my job to dig the holes and it was somebody else's job to learn how to climb out of them. So, uh, and I'm full of cliches today. I just noticed that. So pardon me, forgive me for that, but, but they're just so spot on sometimes. Being the owner of the business and not only digging my own holes, but then having to climb out of them, there's never going to be a perfect time. There's never going to be an ideal time when you're ready, and I really don't like doing that, but where you're absolutely completely ready for that gigantic order that's going to come through the door, because they're all going to hit at once is what's going to happen, because we're meeting with a new distributor domestically next week, so we'll get a large order from them. We've got the thing going in Dubai with a distributor over there, so it's all going to hit at once, and... For, for me, and I don't know, I, I can't say that I've led a charmed life because certainly in my life I've had struggles and challenges and issues and had to find different coping mechanisms and resources for all of those. But having the years of sales experience and the years running Scout and Zoe's under my belt that I've already have, it's easier to say, okay, well, yeah, I know we've got this time to fill this order. We'll get this out first or have different delivery dates on some things with the Dubai versus the distributor in the States. 
We'll probably have two different delivery dates on that, and the Dubai order won't be a container first. So that'll be good because then we can build up to what's selling, what they need more of. And so it's kind of a gradual escalation. It's not like we're going to have $2 million worth of uh, an order immediately that we have to fulfill in 20 days. It's not going to happen. So you have to have the patience to not count your chickens before they're hatched is the first one, because I never really add up an order until we have the signed PO and a deposit and everything's inked and it's, okay, now here's the checklist of what we have to go through to get this done. And normally what has happened is the more methodical I am about things, the more manageable it is because I'm not wigged out that I don't have the cash or I don't have the resources or we don't have the product on hand or the staff or whatever that missing link is. It usually comes around that I've found that the more zen I am about it, the more easily the process flows and things show up when they're supposed to. And then when they don't, you just have to have that open line of communication to say, this has happened, we need to push back of a week or 10 days until this comes in or whatever it is, or the container's gotten stuck in this port. I think that the bottom line here, and if you take away nothing from this, take this away, is that open line of communication with your buyer. Because if you don't, whether it's a retail store, a distributor, or somebody halfway around the world, they respond to that rather than them sending emails saying, where the hell is my product? What's going on there? You're not calling me. You're not responding that open line of communication to say, you know, I don't have any idea, or this is what we are seeing right now, and this is what we can do about it. If you're okay with this, we'll do this amendment or this addendum to the PO. So it's really just managing expectations and mm -hmm. properly communicating your challenges should you have them. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Absolutely. I think managing expectations is the key and with so much in life. And we had a we had a foster puppy recently where he was delightful, but he definitely had his challenges. And when I was meeting with his adoptive family, I was like, here's the deal. You got to be prepared for all of these things. And then I followed up with him a little while later and I was like, so how is this going? And oh, well, you made it sound way worse than it actually was. And I was like, <laughs> good. I would rather manage the expectation up rather than manage the expectation down. That's a huge key too, right there, because I think that you give them a worst case scenario you just set it for the absolute worst scenario you can. And then if you better it, you're a hero. I know. And that's something I will say that I have a struggle with certain things because, well, I could get it done in X amount of time. Whether or not that's totally realistic is yeah. that kind of goes into that that people pleasing or that that wanting to be overly ambitious. And sometimes I have to really dial that back with myself and say, if I really pushed, I probably could get it done here. But the likelihood, like I have a, a somebody who reached out about a, a new client request and I followed up with her. I was like, I'm really busy with the holiday. I'll get back to you by Friday. And I was going to say, oh, I'll get back to you tomorrow. And I was like, nope, they're probably not likely that I'm actually going to get back mm -hmm. to her tomorrow. So I should just say Friday. If I get back to her tomorrow, that's amazing. But if I don't get back to her until Friday and I told her Thursday, she's going to be pretty disappointed or think we're not on top of things or that we're forgetting about her. So just kind of giving myself that extra wiggle room has been a hard change to make, but an important one. It's very important because you need to give yourself some grace too, because you've got other things going on. Your life, your work is not your life. You need to have a work-life balance. If you don't, you're going to burn out so quickly that you'll never reach the heights that, that you could have.
And I did that. I worked all through COVID by myself and basically did not take a vacation for two years. And it's not fun. You have to have a balance. And I am not a people pleaser. To most people's chagrin, I'm not a people pleaser. But I will soften the blow in a way to where it's managing expectations in a way to where everybody has to compromise a little because you, in most instances, you're not going to get exactly what you want Hmm. because that perfection is really difficult to maintain and sustain. You can do it some of the time. And when you do it, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But most of the time as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, and just as a human, that perfection is so elusive that you chase it and you're constantly disappointed. So give yourself some grace, give yourself some time and enjoy like after six o'clock until you go to bed or enjoy one day of the weekend. And like for me, that's Sunday. I attempt not to answer any emails or phone calls on Sunday at all. And after six o'clock Eastern time, because most people in California love to call me around six o'clock because it's three o'clock there and it's nope, fixing dinner, don't want to talk. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things you mentioned there of one. So there's a book that I say I'm an evangelist for, which is called The Gap and the Gain. And it talks about how if you're always measuring forward for what you did not accomplish, you will always be wanting. And it references Thomas Jefferson's pursuit of happiness of saying, if we're always in the pursuit of happiness, we will never attain it. And we are just kind of setting ourselves up to be miserable because we're always hoping for something in the future that will eventually make us happy as opposed to measuring ourselves backwards of what we've already accomplished, being proud of what we've accomplished and living kind of in the gain, what we've already, what we've already made. And two, you're talking about, I think for a lot of business owners that they see taking the foot off of the gas as actually putting a foot on the brake. And this idea that if I'm not going hard all the time, I'm never going to accomplish my goals. And this, I've got to get to a certain point before I can be happy and before I can take a break. And when you can say, I've let my foot off the gas a little bit because I know I can't go pedal to the metal all the time, and you're still accomplishing these big goals or these these new big milestones in your business, was there something that helped you get to that point to realize I can't work every day for two years by myself and also accomplish these big goals because I'm going to get burnt out. I'm going to get you know to the point where I don't push as hard on maybe the right things because I'm just so exhausted by all of the other small things that are kind of getting in the way. That was it. I was exhausted and I was really in a bad way and I hurt my hand. I packed middle of March to April in 2020. I packed 10,000 bags of chews or treats myself and I royally messed up my right hand and Three years later, I'm still having issues with it. So that's not just a small thing. That's a big thing because I'm probably going to have surgery on that hand to correct it. So that and I remember this calls back. My mom passed away in 2014 and I was down there with her as it turns out the day before she passed away. And she was having music therapy and I had my nose so firmly implanted in my computer taking care of something that in retrospect was so not worthy of my time that I paid no attention to her during that music therapy session and very little attention to her during that day. And the next morning at three o'clock in the morning, she died. So that was a really difficult, heartbreaking life lesson that I need to be present, that I need to be fully engaged in what I'm doing. Just like last weekend, one of my nieces married on 
January the 1st. And by design, I only took my phone because I knew I couldn't process any orders or do anything on the phone. So I had to be present. And most of the time, it was run down so far that I barely had any juice left in it to make a phone call. And that was all by design so that I could be 100% present for everything, even the small little arguments with the children or the heightened uh, stress because of getting everybody ready for the wedding. I enjoyed every second of it because I was present. And that's where that life balance thing comes into play. You really have to have some almost peak emotional experience like me with my mom passing away to rattle your cage enough to say, snap out of it and pay attention to your life because nobody is going to walk over your casket or your grave and go, she was a great worker. She worked all the time and it was wonderful. Nobody ever says that about somebody at the end of their life. They always go, wasn't that a shame that she worked all the time, Mm -hmm. that she didn't get to enjoy her life? And I don't want to be one of those people. I want to enjoy my time with my pets. I want to enjoy my time with my husband. I want to enjoy my time with my family. And it's a very difficult lesson to learn. And apparently I didn't take it to heart until I hurt my hand in 2020. So it took me six years to go from missing my mom. And maybe she's the one that directed me from beyond the veil and said, Cindy, you just work too much. You just work too much. I'm going to make your hand hurt. So you have to have some time for it to regroup. So in the summertime, I sit out and read. I sit on my butt in the front yard in a lounge chair and watch my dogs play and read. And it gives me so much joy. I think there's something so special about just finding those moments of joy. And usually they're found in the little things, not in these big things. And I know too that your dogs do mean so much to you. And obviously you've built the last 15 years around giving your dogs and other people's dogs the best quality of life. And I want to kind of pull it to this foundation that you have started, which I think is just an amazing foundation called Scouting for the Cure. And I think cancer is something that has touched probably everybody in one way or another, whether it's a pet or a person that they've loved. And I, a number of years ago, was a participant in a a Relay for Life event, and it was a dog Relay for Life event. And I was pretty shocked to see that dog cancer and human cancer are really researched in a similar way, and that the money that we raise for dog cancer research is also used for human cancer research. And that was something that was very surprising to me and really brought home this idea that we are so interconnected with our dogs in so many different ways. But would you like to talk a little bit more about Scouting for the Cure and how you came to not only find this as a mission that you wanted to support, but something that you wanted to have a a personal hand in? Absolutely. Scout passed away October the 27th, 2021. So he's been gone just two years. And he passed away from hemangiosarcoma. And that is actually the the same cancer that took Shotzi, our first German Shepherd, in 1999. So all these many years apart, they die from the exact same thing. And they got the best of care. They got the best food that we could give them at the time. And still, Shotzi was only 10. Scout was 13. So I learned a little bit about the disease in 1999. It was three weeks from the time we found it to the time she died. And then with Scout, it was a couple of months. But... By the time I knew what it was too late because it was everywhere. So I had always wanted to be philanthropic with Scout and Zoe's. And after 
enduring the horrible decision to have to let him go and watching him suffer. I'm just like everybody else. I wanted him to live forever. And we always wait too late because we think that they'll rally and come back around and they don't. And hemangiosarcoma right now has a 100% fatality rate. No matter what you do, it's just a matter of time before you lose them. So it seemed appropriate to start a foundation that would help canines. And the more I delved into it, um, I found that there is very promising research at Yale and a couple of other universities for a, an injection for hemangiosarcoma. And it's done very well, but it's been paused because of lack of funding. So um, I filed for the 501c3 for Scouting for the Cure. And normally it takes a long time for those things to get granted. But in this instance, it only took about five days. And on the one-year anniversary of Scout's passing, as I was speaking to a group of 150 entrepreneurial students at Ball State University, we were granted our 501c3 status. So that means that we can take donations. So you can go to scoutingforthecure.com and you can make a donation. And a portion of all of our profits goes to the foundation because it's horrible to have to watch your pal suffer from this. And you, I know what was coming and it's just awful. So whenever I see dogs on Facebook who have just been recently diagnosed, especially with hemangiosarcoma, I always message the owner and, and say, I know what you're fixing to go through. Give me your address and let me send you some things. I don't do that on the Facebook post. I do it in private so that they have the opportunity to tell me no if they don't want anything and that they can know that I have their best intentions at heart when I ask for their address because I don't want them to think that I'm stalking. But it's a miserable experience. And if you've ever watched a human endure the ravages of cancer, it's a horrible thing. There's a really good 60 minutes that you can Google and it's about geoblastoma, which is a brain cancer, mm. and a similar a cancer in dogs where the research is parallel. So if we can find this cure for hemangiosarcoma and osteosarcoma and things like that for dogs, we can move those over to people and, and find it in my lifetime. I'm not getting any younger, so we got to move fast, people. We got to get those donations in and move fast so we can get funding out there and save these beautiful, precious, furry critters that mean so much to us and not have them die from something that is so ravaged. It just ravages them and just brutalizes them as creatures of God. Just horrible. It is so sad. We had our dog, we, gosh, it's going to be two years this spring that we had to say goodbye to her. And she it was just before her seventh birthday. And for a while, I was like, yeah, something's not quite right, but I can't quite put my finger on it. And we finally got her in. I really kind of pushed with my vet. I said, she needs x-rays. She needs ultrasounds. There is something going on here. And by the time we found that, she had cancer everywhere. And again, that's not what you expect out of a seven-year dog. You expect mm -hmm. another four to, to seven years with them. And when your life together gets cut so short, their lives are already short. And then to have that remaining time be stolen from you by something that well, there's got to be an answer out there somewhere. We've been dealing with cancer as a society forever. And there's all of this research being done. But like you said, it's all about the money. And we can't 
do research, good research, and continue these promising leads unless the money is out there. And I think people often think, well, I'm sure somebody has that covered. Why do I need to do this? But especially when you get into these these smaller niches of medicine, they need financial backers to to keep things moving forward, even if they are super promising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. And as much as I have promoted this in the last year, and as many pets are dying from hemangiosarcoma, we are not seeing uh, the throngs of people donating. So yeah, you're right. They think that somebody else is going to do it until their pet has it. And then it's, well, crap, now what do I do? It's, well, going to die. And it's Mm -hmm. only a matter of time. And that's really hard to take. Scout was 13. We thought we would have at least four years more with him. And for that to get cut short, my husband was just beside himself because Scout meant so much to him and to all of us. And even Ziva grieved for the longest time. Now we have two puppies. They just turned a year old. Same breed as Scout. They're German short-haired puppies. But he was one in a million. Zoe was too. But it's my mission. When I go, I want people to say, she did good. She did really good. And this is not only did she help them live long lives, but we found it. We were able to get that cure out. And I think of all of the dogs that that can live because of what she did or what the foundation was able to do, not just not what I did, but what the foundation was able to do. Well, and behind every foundation and behind every mission, there is somebody who is pushing it forward. And without those people pushing it forward, that good doesn't get done. And kind of like we talked about at the beginning, business owners, we have the ability to make real substantial change in the world and to have somebody like yourself who has embraced that so fully and taken those core values and those missions that you have into every part of your business, both in how you choose your products, how do you choose which manufacturers you want to work with. And now this the philanthropic arm too of what you're doing is just so special. And I don't think anybody listening to this is going to say, I don't think she's doing quite enough. So <laughs> I think you're on I think you're on the right track here. Well, I've got one more question for you. And that is is there something that you are proud of that you have done over these last 15 years because there's a very small percentage of businesses who make it this far and you're not stopping anytime soon. This is going to continue on, but what is something that has really just made you stop at the end of the day and say gosh, I am so proud that that I've done this thing? Well, I've done it three times, and and it's to bring products to life that have never been seen by the pet industry before. That and that seriously makes me stand back and just absolutely go, yeah, yeah. Because you think about it as you walk through the trade shows, there's rarely something there that is so unique and that has never been seen before. Not just unique, but has never been made before. Because it's all usually, it's just a better mousetrap of what was there. And to have done the Asian carp and the black soldier fly, because we were the very first ones to do that. And then with using black soldier fly in a cat topper, those are called catastic and those are really cool products. But to do that validates my thought of, I had an employer who, as they were firing me, they told me I wasn't wired correctly. And for a long time, I thought, well, that's really rude. That's not really what I thought, but I don't know you well enough to swear on your program. But if I did, I'd say, that's horseshit. But now it's like that badge of honor. It's, yeah, I am wired differently. I'm wired incorrectly, but I'm wired correctly for me. Because Mm -hmm. my brain put all three of those together and went, that's a damn good treat. That's a really different treat. And nobody's done it before. 
And that makes me stand back and be really proud of the education I got, of all of the experiences that I had to bring me to that point in time to do those things. And that makes me really proud. Mm -hmm. And to know that, that pets benefit from my brain being out in left field somewhere, it's just like that's so super validating and I'm just thrilled to pieces to do it. Do you ever think about, I, I think about these things where it's like where life would be if, if one thing had gone differently and if you hadn't gotten fired, how differently your life would be. And I'm sure you would have found your way out eventually because you're just that type of personality where so many business owners are not great employees because they don't always drink the Kool-Aid and follow in line. But how different people always think, gosh, I got fired and it was the worst day of my life, but probably not because it probably got you to the next thing that was a better fit for you anyway, where the universe is saying, oh, just wait, Cindy, I got, I have something else in store for you. Don't worry about it. And just, yeah, how different life would be if that thing hadn't happened. Yeah, all the time. And that one thing would be, I had moved up here from Tennessee to marry someone and he didn't want to marry me after five years. And it's okay, I'm going home. I'm going to Atlanta. I'm going to show you, I'm going to go back to Atlanta. Already had a job already had my plane tickets. And three days before I was supposed to go, I met the man who 30 days later would ask me to marry him and be my, my husband of 34 and a half years. Had that not happened, I would have never stayed up here. I would have never had a dog named Shotzi. I would have never had Ziva or Zoe or Scout or any of, I would have never gone down this path. I have no idea what I would have been doing but I would never have been put into the right series of events to get fired from all those jobs and to have a, a husband that actually said, screw them, you're, you're better than that, you go do something else, who supported me and my choices. So yeah, I think about that all the time. And every time I see It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas time, the James Stewart movie where he goes, I'd be better if I just weren't born. I don't think so, if I weren't born, there would be a lot of pets out there eating some really crappy treats right now. And I, I don't think that God who loves all of us would let that happen. I think that's why I'm here so that I can be the voice that says you have to have better food. You've got to do this because if you don't, you're going to have all these illnesses and vet bills later. You have got to honor them and respect their needs. That's why I'm here to mm -hmm. support that and to push people into that realm of knowing that there are better choices and that we create them so that they can have them at their fingertips, no matter where they are in the world. And I love that. And I think that passion and that purpose comes through in everything that you do. So I also want people to be able to get your treats. So I know you have a subscription service as well, right? So there's a couple different ways for people to buy Scout and Zoe's treats and keep in touch with you. There are so many ways you can go, you can find us on Amazon. You just have to search Scout and Zoe's. And then you can go to our website, scoutandzoe's.com. And then you can find Scouting for the Cure, scoutingforthecure.com. You can also, on scoutandzoe's.com, there is a link to Ziva Surprise Packs, but you can also find it at zivasurprisepacks.com. And we now have the monthly subscription service, but we also now have mystery boxes. So you can get a mystery box on the website that is 
$50 that gets you $100 worth of product. Actually, it's a little bit over 100, but who's counting? And then there's a $100 box that gets you a little over $200 worth of products. And we can't reveal what's in it because it's a secret, but they're really wonderful products. And they, we had a lot of people give them for Christmas, but we're going to have them all the time. And we'll change them up every so often, but uh, they're available now too. So you can find us a lot of ways. And you can find us on social media too. I think we have a TikTok store and a Facebook store, and you can find us any way that's happy for you. Fantastic. Well, we will definitely put links for all of those things in the show notes. Cindy, thank you so much for sharing. You have so much knowledge, not just because you've been doing this for 15 years, but because you are just the kind of person who wants to go out. And like you said, I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. I had a professor in college who said, don't do anything chicken shit. If you're going to do it, <laughs> commit to it and don't don't half-ass it essentially. So yeah. I appreciate that you are that type of person who you want to go out and you want to do it the best that you possibly can. And I'm just so excited to see Scout and Zoe's continue to grow because it helps, one, it'll help continue with your scouting for the cure, but also being able to bring such amazing products to pets and people all around the world. So I'm just so excited for you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be where I am doing what I'm doing. So rock on. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening today. You can find show notes, transcripts, and more on our website, luckypuppod.com. Don't forget, review, comment, like, share this conversation with your friends. Then don't forget to reach out. You can find us on Instagram at luckypuppod or luckypuppodcast on Facebook. Or send us an email, info at luckypuppod.com. Until then, don't forget to live a more full and happy life. We'll talk to you soon.